Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. It is so good to be back. Anyone excited for church today? Come on. We have, we did COVID online. I'm grateful for the internet, but let me just, let me, I'm the pastor of the church. Online church is like the Netflix fireplace. Looks good, sounds good, but it lacks heat. Come on. There is something about this room where the presence of God, it just changes. I'm so grateful that we can gather. Anybody grateful that we can gather again? And I'm sorry that you got to wear a mask and I don't. <laughs> but we are starting a new collection of talks called The Bible is Mine. And I, I just feel so led for the next five weeks we're going to go all in. And either this collection of talks is going to push you away, we love you, or it's going to draw you in. And you're like, this is my church. Because we're going to stand on the word. And in, a, in a culture of compromise, we're going to stand on the scriptures. And I want to pray because I'm going to come after you guys in love. You are ready to be encouraged. You're ready to be challenged. You're ready to be inspired. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that your word is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. God, as I'm preaching, Holy Spirit, would you help me preach? Would you preach to your people? We believe that the, the word of God, illuminated by the spirit of God, is enough to produce the people of God. We want to leave this place looking more like you, talking more like you, loving more like you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. You, you may not know this, but many of you think because I'm a pastor, I'm a good person. And I got to let you know, before I was paid to be good, I was like, you guys, good for nothing? Come on, I'm going. And uh, as a little kid, I was the rebellious kid. I was the kid that would walk in a room with a crayon and walk along, my hand along the wall. Like, my nickname growing up was Ali Shaytun, which means Ali the Devil. Not, not, not Ali the Angel, Ali the Devil. I, I was the one that would teep your house and egg your house. And because I had first generation immigrant parents, they would definitely try to beat the rebellion out of me. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Your mom raised your hands and you still flinch. Oh, hey, mom. Right? But it wasn't just rebellion. I had this allergic reaction to authority. If anyone tried to teach me anything, I'm like, no, 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 no. I would argue with my high school professors, my college professors, and even after I became a Christian, I would argue with my seminary professors. And I remember I was a 20-year-old in college, and I had never met a Christian before. And these guys come up to me, and they're like, they have the Bible, and they're, they're trying to share Jesus with me. And I'm like, are all your answers in that book? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, give me the book. I don't want to hear from you. I'll just read it myself. <laughs> and I look back on that experience, and I realize I was, I was hungry for truth. Because when you find truth, you don't just find truth. You find direction. You don't just find truth. You find clarity. It gives you purpose in life. And our culture, if you don't believe me, we are hungry for truth. You know how I know this? People spend a lot of time giving you fake truth because they know you want the real truth. And this collection of talks is around this one Big idea. If the Bible is true, it changes everything. Changes everything. And I said if, not because that represents my belief, but to recognition that there are some of you in this room that you don't believe. That's okay. You can belong long before you believe, but I'm going to come after you. I'm going to try to push you to believe. And the, the talk is really around this idea today. If the Bible is true, the title, next slide, help me out. The Bible is my foundation. My foundation. 
It changes the way I parent. It changes the way I do sex. It changes the way I, 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 I'm a spouse. I, I handle money, the way I love my friends, the way I treat my neighbors. It changes everything. And what makes me so excited about this collection of talks may be the reason why you might be bored in this collection of talks. Because you come to change to church to be transformed. You come to church to be changed. Often you don't come to church to learn. And what makes me excited about this collection of talks may be the very reason why you may be bored. It's about change. And if you believe the Bible, everything that it says, it will change you. And our problem, though, is that we think change is behavioral. See, see, often we look at our behaviors. We want to stop smoking. We want, we want to stop drinking. We want to spend our money right. And we, we, we go after the behavior. But underneath every behavior, that, that behavior was first conceived as a thought. Let me say it another way. Underneath every behavior is a, is a belief. And if you want to change your behavior, you change the belief. God is not in the change in the business of behavior modification. He's in the business of transformation. He changes you by the renewing of your mind. He changes your thoughts, and he changes your life. Let me prove it to you. I, I had first-generation immigrant parents. I love my mom. I'm not sure if she's in the room. I just got to say this. She's not a liar, but she definitely lied to me growing up. Allie, if you wear socks, you're going to go blind. Allie, if you chew gum and swallow it, it will always stay in your stomach. If you swallow those sunflowers, those watermelon seeds, a watermelon's going to grow in your stomach. And my favorite, if you don't dry your hair before you go out, the wind is going to get cold. You're going to catch cold. Listen, I am 15, spending the night at my friend's house. I did not dry my hair. I walk outside, the wind blows, my butt cheeks touch, I'm going to get pneumonia. I didn't have a behavior problem. I had a belief problem. Write this down. Your beliefs will keep you trapped in a behavior. Your beliefs will keep you trapped in a behavior. This is why some of you guys don't ask a girl out. Because someone told you you were ugly once. Someone told you you were that once. And what was, what was just a rude word now became an identity word. You, you identify as that. That's why you don't step out. That's why you don't trap for that job. That's why you don't apply for that position. Because you don't think you have the potential. That's why some of you give your body away every time you're in a relationship. Because you think the only economic value that you can provide is what you give with your body. You do not have a behavior problem. You have a belief problem. And God wants to change not your behavior, but your belief. But it's deeper than that. Your beliefs don't just keep you trapped. They keep you from a behavior. They keep you from a behavior. Let me, let me just say this. Even if you're an atheist in this room, you've got to go into in a room where a, a, a mom gives birth. That is a miraculous moment that is like supernatural. All the moms, praise God for you. You do all the hard work. Every husband says, we gave birth. You didn't do nothing, bro. <laughs> she did all the work. Maybe we can make an argument that you did work on the front end and she did work on the back end, but I won't even go there. <laughs> right? And my wife, Andrew, you know, when you go to college, you come back with the freshman 15, right? And some of us in COVID, we came back with the COVID 15. All the moms know, we come back with the baby 15, right? I wouldn't know. I've heard. And my wife, for the last two years, she's been working, working out. You look, I'm just going to say it publicly. You look good, girl. You've been working out. And some of you are like, how did you do it, Pastor Yaz? And most of you, what you don't realize is you go after the what. What do I need to do? What do I need to eat? And 80% of New Year's resolutions fail. Do you know why? Not because you didn't have a good what or a good goal. Because you have a good why. Because when I walk in the garage at 6 o'clock in the morning and my wife is dying. <gasps> I'm like, babe, don't you love cake? Just come on in. She goes, no, because she has a why. This is why so many people come in the church, and they're taught how to read, how to pray, but they were never told why to do those things. 
And when life gets challenging, when life gets hard, you walk away. Not because you didn't have a good what, because you didn't have a good why. Jesus, he wants to give you some beliefs, things that you can build. I can't wait to show you that. Things to build your life on. Beliefs are what drive your behavior. And there are two things you got to watch out for with your beliefs. The first one is this, false teaching. False teaching. You know how they, you know how they identify fake money? They don't let you play with fake money. They, 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 you spend months touching real money. And the moment you touch fake money, you instantly know. This is why I'm not afraid of false teaching, because if you spend time in the Word, you can smell out false teaching. That's not my fear for you. My fear is not false teaching. My fear is false learning. False learning. That's the number two. This is where you're around the Scriptures. You're around Christians, but you ain't engaging in the Bible. It's like when all of your friends love to work out, and you're like, oh my gosh, i got to buy the workout clothes, and... You go and you spend more time making TikTok videos in the, in, in the gym. And you might do one curl, right? And people say, what'd you do today? I worked out. And some of you say, I just came to church. And we go, what'd you do? Oh, I'm a Christian. And you think being around the Bible, being around Christians is enough. That's called false learning. That's why when you watch YouTube and you, you see those master class. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, my gosh, I want to be a master. Ten videos, each video is eight minutes long. I'm like, yes, I can now be a, a barbecue master. <laughs> and you think you can come to church once and you just be around the scriptures and you get it. It doesn't work like that. And Jesus wants to address that. Matthew chapter 7. I often preach from the NIV or the NLT. Today I want to teach you from the MSG. This is not the salt you put in Chinese food, by the way. This is the message translation. Starting at verse 24. These words I speak to you are, this is Jesus speaking, are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational. Someone say foundational. These are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these things, if you work these words, which are the scriptures, into your life, you are like the smart carpenter who built his house on the solid rock. 2,000 years ago when Jesus was walking the earth, first century, there was no KB Homes. You couldn't call up a construction company to build your home. What you would do is you would get engaged with a girl and you'd spend the next year building your house for your new wife. And it was you and your dad. And what you do is you dig and you dig. You get over the surface of the ground. You hit a hard, the hard ground. It's called the bedrock. And what you do is you build your house not on dirt but on the bedrock. And what Jesus is saying is when life gets hard, when life gets challenging, you've got to dig sometimes. You've got to build your life not on the surface, on the deep stuff. Rock, rain poured down, the, the, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you use my words in Bible studies, if you put cute pictures on Instagram, if you put it on your TikTok, if you just, if you just read the Bible, or if you're, you think you're around the Bible, look what Jesus says, and don't work them into your life. You are like a stupid carpenter. There's a theologian by the name of Alberto in the movie Luca. He says, what's wrong with you, stupido? They are both saying the same thing. If you just are around the Bible and you know the Bible, but you don't apply the Bible, Jesus is saying you are dumb who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religious teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. If the Bible is true, 
it will change everything. And I want to give you three ways this morning how you engage with the Bible. Don't just be around it, how to engage it in your life. Y'all ready? You're taking notes, want to write this down. If you're not taking notes, you want to write this down. The Bible changes everything when you trust it. When you, not when you know it, because even the demons know it. It's when you trust it. I have a friend who pastors in Florida, and he was a seminary student at SEU. It's a school that we are partnered with. If you want to go to seminary, we can get you a discount. But he's a seminary student at SEU, and there's this professor by the name of Kawashima. And this man spent 30 years of his life not just memorizing the New Testament, but memorizing the Greek words. So a, a concordance, is, it shows you the English words and the Greek word that that English word was translated from. For example, the word love in the Bible, it, the Greek word, there are four Greek words, eros, phileo, agape. It all translates in one word of English. This man didn't just memorize the English, he memorized the Greek. One thing, though, this dude was an atheist. I remember my friend went up to him and was like, why would you spend 30 years of your life memorizing a book about a God that you don't even believe in? His answer was crazy. He said, there's no book like it. There's never been a book like the book, like the Bible. And that's what I want to encourage some of you. What I want to do today is I want to teach you how to trust the scriptures. I want to use this silver illustration because these bricks, these are just ornamental until, listen, until I stand on them. Until I put my weight on it, it's just a nice brick in my house. And some of you have forgotten that God wants you to trust the scriptures even when it doesn't make sense. And I'm going to give you facts this morning, scientific facts of why you should believe the Bible. And then after I'm done, I'm going to tell you why it doesn't matter. Why it doesn't matter. Number one, I'm going to tell you three areas of academia that you need to trust the scriptures because of science. Number one is history. Somebody shout history. That the Bible has been historically accurate. Every time they, there's a city talked about in the scriptures, archaeologists say, no, no, that doesn't exist. And then they keep digging, and they keep digging, and they find, like, oh, my gosh, the Bible's right. Every single time. There has never been historical evidence disproving the scriptures. There's a man by the name of William Ramsey. Look what he says. He, 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 he was a 19th century historian. Uh, he was actually an archaeologist in the Middle East. He would make fun of the Bible. And look what he says in his very first book, the book of Acts, which was written by a doctor named Luke. He wrote the book of Acts and the book of, uh, the book of Luke, self-titled. So the book of Acts is a highly imaginative and carefully colored account of primitive Christianity. In essence, of my knowledge of history, I have no respect for Luke as a historian. This student spent the next five years in the Middle East trying to disprove the Bible. Five years later, he wrote a book called Luke, the Beloved Doctor. And he says this, after looking carefully at the evidence, I take the view that Luke's history is unsurpassed in its trustworthiness. You may press the words of Luke in a degree beyond any historian, and they will stand the, keen, kind, the, the strictest scrutiny and the harshest treatment. What's he saying? You can trust the Bible. You can trust the Bible. Most histor history books are written by for the practice of one person. I came out of Islam. The Bible, the Quran is written by one man, Muhammad. The scriptures are written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years saying the same message. You can trust the scriptures. You can trust the scriptures. And take the Odyssey, for example. The Odyssey was written down 1,500 years after the story started. So that means for 1,500 years, it was passed orally. The scriptures, you know how many books of the Odyssey that we have in print? Seven. You know how many copies of the scriptures that we have 20 years after the events happened? 20,000. 
That means when you held the Bible and it talked about things that happened, you were still alive when those people were alive. When you, you can go up to Luke and be like, Luke, did this really happen? Imagine if I came out with a book today telling you that 9-11 didn't happen. All of you would say, no, no, I was there. That's exactly what the, new, the Bible is. People who were alive back then, they, they could go up to the eyewitness and say, did this really happen? The Bible is historically true. Number two, medically true. Someone say medically. medically. If you're new here, we are a loud church. The Bible talks about medicine long before the doctors and the scientists figured it out. Do you know why in the scriptures God tells, commands the Israelites to circumcise boys on the eighth day? Because babies' bloods don't clot in the first seven. And doctors had to figure that out. There was this, in America, they had this, this medical practice called bloodletting. Anybody ever heard of bloodletting? Mm, let me tell you what it is. It's where the doctors, they didn't know how to f- cure your, of your fever or your sickness, so they'd cut you. And they thought if the blood came out, the sickness would come out too. This is how our first president, George, w., George Washington, died. They let out 40% of his blood through this purpose of bloodletting. And GW died. Our original OG is gone. Because they didn't know how to treat him if they had only read Leviticus 17.11. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Never let it out. Put it on the screen, please. It's on. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Never let it out. Thousands of years before doctors figured that out. God was saying this in the scriptures. How about washing your hands? Some of you never wash your hands until COVID. We know you're righteous and ratchet. We love you anyways. Come on. You come out of the bathroom without washing your hands. You're nasty. There was this doctor named Sevavis, and he worked in the, the hospital ward where babies were being born, and 90% of the babies were dying, and they tried to figure it out. And he did research, and did, he investigated, and he realized the doctors that were giving birth, they were coming out of the morgue. So they were touching dead bodies, and then they were touching babies, and that's why the babies were dying. He had this crazy idea. How about we wash our hands? long before they had medical evidence to see bacteria. They said, what if we just washed our hands? They fought him. They, he almost lost his medical license. Why? Because it took too long. That's what some of you say. I don't want to wash my hands. <laughs> Takes too long. Death rate dropped by 90%. If they'd only read Numbers 19, where Moses commands you to wash your hands after you touch a dead body. Thousands of years before medical science, God was saying in the scriptures, you can trust the Bible. There's historical evidence. There's medical evidence. How about astrology? How do you love astrology? You love Capricorn. I love popcorn. You love cancer. I don't like cancer at all. You, you love those things, the stars in the sky, whatever. A few hundred years ago, everyone thought the world was flat. A thousand years before Copernicus, a thousand years before Da Vinci. Look what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. He, he being God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And the, the word circle In Hebrew, it's actually the word sphere. He sits above the sphere of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. How about the fact that the earth just hangs out in space? We often take that for granted, but some of the the most ancient, the smartest, the most advanced civilizations, they had crazy explanations if they had only read the Bible. Let me read you some of these explanations. The Egyptians, one of the smartest, smartest cultures. We are still trying to study the pyramids, how they, how they cut it, how it's mathematically precise. These guys were precise. Their belief was that the earth was supported on five marble pillars. The Greeks taught that the world was on the shoulders of Atlas. The Hindus, they said that the world sat on the back of an elephant, the elephant sat on the back of a turtle, the earth Set on the back of a snake. Smoke that this morning. What the heck is that? <laughs> they only read the book of Job. A little Bible trivia. The book of Job is the first 
book of the Bible written. It was written before the book of Genesis. This is the oldest book of the Bible. Look what it says in Job chapter 26, verse 7. He, being God, spreads out the northern skies over the empty space. Listen to this part. He suspends the earth over nothing. Thousand years before Copernicus, God was showing you who's real. Science, facts. Let me give you a bonus section. Prophecy, come on now. 15-year-old dude named Daniel, kidnapped from his home, taken to Babylon, under the king Nebuchadnezzar. This man gives his life to God. This man lives for God in a culture of compromise, very similar to what we're living now in the most unchurched region in the entire country. He says, even if no other Christian obeys you, God, I'm going to obey you. And God throws him in a fiery furnace, and he obeys even to his death. And when he comes out, God gives him a vision. Because I can trust you, Daniel. God gives him a vision that Nebuchadnezzar, immediately within his lifetime, would be overthrown by the Persian Empire would be then immediately be thrown over, overthrown by Alexander the Great. Then immediately the, it would become the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire would turn into four kingdoms. A thousand years before it happened, Daniel prophesied it. And I remember my friend goes up to his professor. He learned this like, what's up, yo? I got you. What do you say about Daniel? And Kawashima, you know what he said? He said, Daniel must have written it after because he refused to believe that Daniel called it because he doesn't want to believe in God. Prophecy. Let me tell you, there, there are eight 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus fulfilling them. That he, when he would be born, uh, the city he'd be born in Bethlehem, the, the, the way that he would die, that the fact that they would gamble his clothes on his deathbed. Th- these are things that he, couldn't, he could not determine where he was born. He could not determine the day, the year that he was born. You know the Bible talks about the year he's going to be born. Hey, they, this, this mathematician, this, look at his name, you're going to laugh. Peter Stoner, okay, calm down, don't judge him. This mathematician tries to figure out, let's pick eight of the prophecies, eight of the 300. What's the mathematical probability that one dude can fulfill all of them? It's 10 to the power of 17. Now, most of you went to public school, you have no idea what that means, like me, come on. That's a one with 18 zeros behind it. What's that mean? Imagine six commas, zero, 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 comma, six commas. They don't even have a name for that number, it's so big. It's million, billion, trillion, and then they write out of words. This mathematician tried to illustrate the, the magnitude of this number. He said, imagine you took a silver dollar and you put an X on it. Then you covered the entire state of Texas. The entire state, two feet high. And dropped that silver dollar somewhere. Then you blindfolded someone. They, have, they can walk around anywhere they want. And then they have to stick their hand in two feet of silver dollars and they have to pull out the X. That's the probability. That one person fulfilled just eight of the 300. You can trust the scriptures, not just medically, not just historically, not just astronomically, but prophecy. God called it before it happened. But let me tell you why none of that matters. Because in a courtroom, there's a prosecutor and a defendant, and they can give you all the evidence. You know what determines the end result? The jury, not the facts, not the facts. Which is why, if you read this in 2 Peter verse 1, verse 16, it says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's Peter saying? I didn't make this up. I didn't just sit in a room and like, let me just like figure all this out and like play this game. I was an eyewitness to this fact. No one is smart enough to call the shot. Babe Ruth put his finger up and said, I'm going to hit a home run. And he's a legend now. That's one swing of a bat. Jesus had 300 prophecies. 
It's impossible for someone to call all those shots. And it continues, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as if they carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing I want to tell you. It's not the truth that matters. It's not what you believe. It's what you want to believe. You don't believe me? Take any event that's happening right now. The stock market crashing, vaccination rates, masks, no masks, the thing in Afghanistan. Go watch it on CNN. Then go watch the same story on Fox News. You hear two different stories. Same facts. Come on. Two different stories. You believe what you want to believe. You believe what you, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes you already do this in your life. You, you make decisions based on the fact that you don't even have all the evidence. For example, you lock your door every time you go on vacation. One deadbolt. Any man can go, and kick the door down. But you choose to trust that door will keep your home safe when you're gone. Some of you moms, you have never tasted that formula that you give your baby. You can't even pronounce the words on the back of that label. You've never taken that stuff to a lap, but yet you choose to trust that thing you can put in your babies. When you go to sleep at night, you don't tell your lungs, keep breathing. You don't stay up nervous if you're going to die. You trust your lungs will keep breathing. That's the point I'm trying to make. You get past the point where you need evidence. And what you do is you begin to realize, I don't need evidence. I have something greater than evidence. That's called experience. So the next slide. Your need for evidence is replaced by the evidence of experience. You can tell me all you want that God doesn't real, that God, the, the Bible is fake, but I built my life on the Bible. When my daughter had cancer, God saved her. When I was at rock bottom of my marriage, God saved me. When I, when I was broken, I was addicted. I don't need evidence. I was blind and now I see. I, I don't need it. I have experience. The Bible doesn't work though until you trust it. You can't just be around it. You got to engage with it. There's nothing wrong with wanting evidence but evidence won't help you live your life. You gotta test it. You gotta stand on it. The, the Bible changes everything when you trust it. Number two, you gotta write this down. The Bible changes everything when you build on it. When you build on it. It's, it's, it's often funny when, when I hear people describe the scriptures. They say, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a rule book. And I get why you say that, because it's a book that has some rules. But that's like saying mm, that this is a weight. I can do exercise equipment with this because it's heavy. Just because it has that function doesn't mean that was designed for that. Some of you Android users, that's not a phone, that's a paperweight. Stop using that. Repent. <laughs> Most stubborn people in America are Android phone users. Come on. I'm a prophet. I'm, not, I'm commanded not to lie. Come on. And some of you, you walk around your life doing this. Oh my gosh. I can't even. The Bible's so hard, Pastor Ellie. Tells me not to have sex before marriage. Uh. Tells me not to drink alcohol. It doesn't say that. It says don't get drunk on wine. But I only drink alcohol to get drunk, Pastor Alley. <laughs> and the scriptures crush you when it was never designed to do that. The Bible is a mirror meant to show you that you need a savior. And Jesus came to carry the cross so that you wouldn't have to carry the, the concrete. And, and so, so often we celebrate the cross, but we forget that Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. He came to oh, fulfill the law. The law was never meant to be obeyed. If you're spending all of your time, all of your energy trying to be perfect, you're going to fail. I wrote down this way. It's not, 
The Bible is not a block of burden. It's a basis of blessing. It's not meant to be a rule book that you are to follow. It, it is a fulfillment of what Jesus did for us. Every time you sit, when it describes a righteous person, you can thank God that Jesus was our righteousness. That he fulfilled all. He lived the sinless, perfect life. That the, the heaven is not filled with good people. It's filled with forgiven people. I wrote down this way. The Bible is not designed on how to have a, a, a life that's impossible. It's designed so that you can have the best life possible. I want to give you some scriptures that you can build your life on. Anyone want to build a career? You want to get promoted at work? Come on, show of hands. I need audience participation. You want to build a career? You want promotion? Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23. says, whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. And you can stand on this verse. Knowing that even when your boss is mean to you, even when your coworkers don't appreciate you, that that boss is not the one that determines your promotion. The promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from God. So, so when, you, when you hold back, when you hold back doing good, you're like, man, my boss, he doesn't deserve this. He, he, I'm not going to go, he doesn't pay me. What you fail to realize is he's not your boss, God is. And what you're really doing is, is you're justifying your laziness when God's your real boss. And when you do everything for him, when he gave you everything, I'm telling you, your, your boss will pay you not to leave. Pay, you can build your life, your career on this verse. Anyone want a, a business that's going to grow and scale? Come on. I, I built this church on this next verse. Luke. Luke 16, verse 10. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little. Someone say little. little. Can also be trusted with much. Someone say much. much. I went to public school is much bigger than little. Come on, help me, someone. So it's only when you're faithful, when your responsibilities are small, that God's going to give you more. Why would God give you more if you're not faithful with the little? I remember when I was a youth pastor with 15 kids. I call them cats because that's what youth ministry is, herding cats. They never listen to anyone. I would spend 15, 20 hours a week writing sermons. I'm like, God, why am I doing this? Why am I killing myself? Keep doing it. Be faithful with a little. If you love those 15 people, I'm going to bring a thousand. Watch. And there was this, this shed on the top of our roof. A little church of 200 people. On the, the English side, I was the pastor on that side. I had 50, and there was a youth group of 10. We had this shed, 10 by 10 foot shed. Should have been on a TV show. You know, the hoarders, it was like one of those, like, oh, my gosh, filled to the rim full of stuff. And I grabbed all the youth kids, bought some pizza. I'm like, we're cleaning this shed. I'm like, why, Pastor Allen? No one sees it. I'm like, God sees it. God sees it. And when no one was looking, I was faithful with the little. And I believe with all my heart, this, as good as it is to be here, this is not our home. God's going to give us buildings. You want your business to scale? You, you want more? Be faithful with the little. You can build your business on that. How, how about some of you want a, want a marriage? Your marriage is difficult. Relations are having difficulty. You can build your marriage on this one. Ephesians 5, 25. Let me come after the guys for a second. Come on. Before you get all hyped, ladies, Ephesians 4, 5, 24 says submit. I know that's a cuss word in our culture. But you ask guys, why do you, do you love your wife? Yeah, I love my wife. We have sex all the time. It's a good answer, but it's deeper than that. The scriptures define love. It's not your feelings. It says, husband, love your wives. Then he defines for you what love is. Just as Christ loved the church, what does he do? He gave himself. He gave himself. Love is not what you receive, it's what you give. 
Let me define what love is. Love is giving the other person what they don't deserve when they need it the most at great personal cost. Guys come in all the time like, oh my gosh, when I got married, I felt like I lost my singleness. Now she's like, she wants all my time. I, got I, I feel like, and they, they describe this feeling like death. They're like, yeah. I'm like, welcome to the club, bro. <laughs> the selfish parts of you needs to die. Because when Jesus was dying for me, I was in the club. And he was faithful when I was faithless. And the reason why I'm in this room is not because I'm good, but because he is. And if you want your wife to be good, die for her before she obeys. Build your marriage on that verse. How about making America great again? That's a loaded sentence right there. Come on. A lot of division in America. Political division. Instagram division versus TikTok. We got Kanye and Kim division. We got division. <laughs> Come on, oh, that's stupid. I'm a good preacher. I'm making the Bible fun. You're welcome. What's the verse? Matthew 7, verse 12. Right here, you can build America on that. That, that right there will change America. So in everything, do unto others as you would do them to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. You know, you know what makes, you want know, you to make the Republican Party better? Have them treat Democrats the way they treat Republicans. You want to make the Democrats better? Have them treat Republicans the way they treat Democrats. You want to make America, the Bay Area better? Have Laker fans treat everyone nicer because they're super mean. <laughs> the way you change America. I'm telling you, that verse right there will change America if we loved one another the way that we wanted to be treated. The way that we wanted to be treated. Jesus gave us the formula on how to make this country great. We love one another the way that we want to. How about wealth? Anyone want to be wealthy? Come on. Don't be shy this morning. Come on. Bunch of liars in church this morning. <laughs> Proverbs 24, 11 verse 24 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person, person will prosper. See, in our culture, we, we say you, you become wealthy when you make a 401k, when you invest in a 501c3, when, when you put all of your extra money in Bitcoin and crypto, and then you become, and you blow up, and Jesus says, no, you want to be, be rich? Be generous. Look what it says in Luke 6, verse 38. It says the same thing. One-third, I'm sorry, 25%, one-fourth of Jesus' teaching was on money. It says this in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be used to you. You want to be rich? Be generous. You want to be rich? Be generous. How about, how about who wants a, a great business partner? I know that's one of the hardest things business people have to do. You, you, in this valley, venture capitalists, you know what they do? They'll, take, they'll, they'll, they'll want 40% of your business. They'll give you money, but you got to do all the hard work. It's interesting, though. Sometimes when you find another business partner, you, you both work hard, you both go to the business, you split the business 50-50. What if I can introduce you to someone that would bless your business and he only wants 10%? Only wants 10%. Malachi 3 verse 10. Malachi 3.10 says, bring to me, this is God speaking, the whole tithe into the storehouse, which is God's house, that there may be food in my house. Test me. That's the only time in all of scripture that Jesus says, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. If I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much, someone say so much, so much. 
That means you won't even have space for it. It's overflowing so much blessing that there will not be a room enough to store it. You need a business partner. His name is Jesus. You want to grow your business? Boom, build it on that one. What about, what about all, the, all the parents in here? Come on. All the parents freaking out, trying to decide where, where to take your kids, what class to put them in, piano, soccer, art. It's overwhelming how many classes there are. And most parents, they want to leave their kids an inheritance. They want to give their kids everything. These are good desires, but there's one thing the scripture says that's more important than all those other things that you can possibly ever give your kids. Matthew 6, verse 3. Seek first. Someone say first. Jesus saying, this is the most important thing. If you put me first, all those other things will come after. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. That's those things that you think are important. The education, the spouse, the money, the career. Jesus saying, if you put me first, the career will happen. You put me first, the, the spouse will happen. You put me first, the, the, your finances will be great. Put me first, your mental health will be okay. Put me first, and everything that you think is important. Not that it's not important, but this is the most important the most important thing a parent can give their kids is their faith in Jesus. I wish I could put my kids in every class, but the most important one is my faith. That's, you got to build your parenting on that. Did I put it up? The Bible changes everything when you trust it. The Bible changes everything when you build on it. And number three, if you're taking notes, this is where I'm going to come for your heart. The Bible changes everything when you hide in it. When you hide in it. Two days before we started this church, my daughter went to the hospital and she had a tumor on her hand. We have the picture. Can we show it? The one on the left, if you see the mouse, I'm sorry, the one on the right where the mouse is, see how it's all dark? There's something on her hand. The x-ray doesn't show the bone because there's something there. While we're giving our life, giving everything to start this church, it feels like something's about to take my daughter. See, it's easy to say, oh, I trust the Bible. It's easy to say, I'm going to build my life on that. But what do you do when the storms come? What do you do when your daughter's wearing a cast and you don't know if she's going to live? I want to challenge some of you is greater than the evidence is experience. The one on the right happened on July, I believe, 14th, which is a Friday. The one on the left happened on September 25th, the day after our grand opening. We're in the doctor's room and we're about to schedule surgery and he says, we want to take one more x-ray we have surgery in, in two weeks. I'm like, what are you going to do? He's going to shave that thing off, remove the cancer. And he comes back in the room. He's like, you're not going to believe me. He goes, well, whatever's on your daughter's hand is gone. And imagine right after July, they cut a little piece off to figure out what it was. They sent it to, New, to, to L.A., to Boston, to Harvard, every top medical school in the country. No one knew what it was. So I'm looking at my doctor. I'm like, let me get this straight. You don't know what it was. He's like, no. I'm like, and now you don't know where it went? He's like, no. 
I'm like, what, how do you explain this? He's like, we don't have the medical definition of what, I'm like, just call it a miracle, bro. Miracle. Matthew 24, verse 25. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. See, some of you, you need to hide in the scriptures. You're around them, and you know them. But when the storm comes, what do you do? Where do you go? You go to porn? You go to alcohol? Maybe you just Netflix and chill. Can I challenge you to go in the Word, to hide in the Word? Psalms 119, verse 11. says, I hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What's crazy is your heart is an internal organ. You have no control over it. When you freak out, it starts beating faster. You don't tell your heart to beat faster. What David is saying, it's a reflex. I want to challenge you. I want to make it a reflex that when life hits you, you hide in the word. I got nowhere else to go. I remember when my wife and I started this church. I was an engineer making 20 grand a month. And I started this church not because I want to be rich. I want to help people. God gave me a call in my life to help people who are far from God know who he is. I was getting peanuts those first two years. And I remember there would be days every single month for two years straight. We would go deeper and deeper in debt. And I'd claim Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all my needs according to his riches. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you lean on when life hits you? When it doesn't make sense? When the divorce happens? When the uncle dies? When the abuse happens? I don't know why bad things happen to good people. Let me tell you what God wants. What do you do when good, thing, good people happen to bad things? You change the culture. I, I didn't tell anyone what was happening in our home because I had faith. I was hiding in the word that this church would grow and we would be provided for. People always come to me, Pastor Hallie, Pastor Hallie, why? Why did this happen? How come my mom died when I was little? How come my uncle died? And I don't know why. But I'll tell you where I hide. Romans 8, 28. And we know in all things, someone say all things, that God works for the good of those. That means those bad things that happen, those aren't good. Cancer is not good. Death is not good. Divorce is not good. Abuse is not good. But our God is so big. And he's so good. He can take the pain and he can bring purpose out of it. I don't know why that happened. But God won't let it just fall to the ground and be useless. He'll make you stronger. He'll give you purpose. He's the only one that can bring purpose out of pain. He's the only one that can put a comma where our pain wants to put a period. Some of you need to learn to hide. This last week, I took my daughter 
to the school for the very first time. And I had to lean on this. Remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right now, as we're speaking, there are Christians in Afghanistan being killed. And when I dropped my daughter off, she was, she's two and a half. She was bawling her eyes out. Because imagine her whole life, 18 months of her 24 months she's been alive. I work at home because of the pandemic. She's been with me. So now she can't be with me. So I'm waving goodbye, and she's like, nah. And she wasn't crying because the Taliban's taking me away to kill me and make her a bride. She's crying because she's not going to see me for six hours. And it's crazy how blessed we are and how hard my heart aches for those Christians in, in Afghanistan that are being, the husband and wife are being murdered, the sons are being, the wives, the, the daughters are just being sold into sex slavery. I'm like, God, what about our brothers in Afghanistan? And I hide in this when, when the news is unbearable, that I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. I hide in it, in the land of the living. Three years we've been doing this church. I remember February, we were three months old. It was Ethan, it was Sarah, myself, and Will. Four of us for three hours set up this room by ourselves. And oh my God, I'm I'm done. <laughs> I am done. Rapture me. I don't even know if it's real, but just let it happen. Come on. I go home and Ethan would say, We go home and we'd sleep because we were exhausted. And I'd say, God, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I hide in the word. And the last one, my favorite, my dude Joshua in 2145. This is after he followed Moses for 40 years and then he led for 40 years. He's standing before the nation of Israel and he's about to pass away. And he says this out loud, not one. Someone say not one. Not one. Our God's not a liar. Our God is not a liar. He will never let you down. I've never seen someone tithe and regret it. I've never seen someone trust God and regret it. I've never seen someone build their marriage on the scriptures, build their parenting and regret it. I've never seen someone hide in the word and regret it. Not one of the Lord's good promises, not average promises, not okay, good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. You can trust God. You can build your life on the word and some of you need evidence. Let me tell you, I, I, built, I have experience that God is good. That when my marriage was broken, I, I leaned on Ephesians 5. When my parenting was terrible, I, I leaned on those verses. You can build your life on the word. You can trust it. And all the evidence may not convince you, but you've already determined what you choose to want to believe. It's time to obey the scriptures and trust it. Build your life on it and hide. If I can get you guys to stand and close your eyes.
God, I pray for our church. I pray for every person in this room, God, that has a promise over their life and they have not experienced it yet. Teach us, God, just to wait a little bit longer that every promise will come to pass. If God said it, God, you're going to do it. You're a promise keeper. We don't just need to read your word. We can stand on your word. We can trust it. We can build our life on it. I pray for the people in this room, God, that struggle with trusting it. Give them the faith that they already trust their lock. They already trust their lungs. They can trust your word. I pray for those, God, that need help in their career, need help in their marriage, need help in their parenting, that they can today, with actual verses, build their marriage, build their business on verses. I pray for those in this room that are hurting, that the pain of life has has made them weary, God. That they'd stop reading the word. And they'd start placing the word in their heart. Instead of hiding behind TV and social media, we would hide in the word. Because not one of your promises, God, won't come to pass. With every eye closed and every head bowed, There are some of you in this room. You never knew that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he didn't come to give you a Bible. As awesome as it is, he came to have a relationship with you. This God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die. Jesus died on a cross. And the way that you start a relationship with Jesus, the way you become a Christian is not by doing anything by simply placing your faith in him. And before you can trust it, you have to place your faith in it. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you this morning, and you have not started a relationship with the living God, Jesus, and you want to start, would you be willing to put your hand up? I'd love to pray for you this morning. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.